Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? If you have, the best answer for doing one is Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for recording, posting, and distributing your podcast. Anchor is available to download for your Apple or Android devices, or you can go to anchor.fm. Best of all, it's 100% free and so easy to use. So what are you waiting for? If you want to start your own podcast, download the Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R. Anchor, the best way to make your podcast. is the Mofobo Network Podcast, bringing you the most up-to-date news in the wide world of sports. Now, here's your host, Neil Villapiano. What is going on, guys? It's your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the MoFobo Network podcast here on Anchor or Spotify. Thank you guys, as always, very much for taking some time out of your day to take a listen to this episode. And always here on MoFobo Network, we have a ton to talk about in the wide world of sports, and today is no exception, as today we are going to go over a couple of the bigger moves in this year's MLB trade deadline, which was yesterday. So if you're listening to this on September 1st, you know, it's Tuesday, September 1st, uh, the trade deadline was yesterday. So obviously there were a lot of moves that a handful of teams made, um, some that were surprising and others that really kind of caught your eye. Uh, There were a couple of teams that didn't really make a move at all that I think some people thought would make a move. Probably, maybe you would say, you know, probably the Yankees. Uh, they didn't make a move, and uh, real quick, I will say that I think they made the right choice uh, by doing so, but that's just, uh, that's just my opinion on that matter, and, and I may decide uh, if we have a little bit of time to kind of go into that, but um, you know, there were a couple moves that were made even before the deadline that I wanted to share, and then there was obviously the big one, and if you know what I'm talking about, you probably, you probably guess where I'm going with this. But, you know, I'll save that one for kind of like the the very end, basically. So without further ado, let's jump right into our topic for today. And the first move we're going to discuss is from the San Diego Padres. Now, first of all, the San Diego Padres were without a doubt, clear as day, the most active team at the trade deadline. I think they made something between six, seven moves And they clearly are looking to make a run, not just for the postseason, but certainly a run for the World Series. Now, the the Padres are, you know, here and there, they uh, they took the world by storm a little bit for the last couple weeks because they were called the Slam Diego Padres because they were hitting some like five, six grand slams as a team. Uh, But clearly the Padres, with some of the talent that they already have in Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, they, they clearly are a team that's on the rise. And the Padres felt that this year, more than any, because of how crazy it is and how much the World Series really is up for grabs, that the Padres decided, you know what, let's make a run at it. We got nothing to lose, you know, and 
I would disagree with that. But nonetheless, the Padres want to do it. And one of the moves that they made was the Padres acquired first baseman Mitch Moreland from the Boston Red Sox in exchange for infielder Hudson Potts and outfielder Jason Rosario. Now, Mitch Moreland is one of the few bright spots, you would say, on the Red Sox. Clearly the Red Sox, with them being in dead, you know, almost in dead last, or I think they might be in last place. I think they might be in last place. I'm not totally sure. But nonetheless, the Red Sox are clearly having a very, very bad year. And obviously, you know, the expectations were certainly different prior to, you know, what happened with Alex Cora, their former manager, and obviously also with Mookie Betts. Uh, but since that point, since Cora was fired and Mookie Betts was traded to the Dodgers, the Red Sox have pretty much decided that they're going to try to acquire as many assets as possible to do what I would consider more of a retool than a rebuild because they still have Jackie Bradley Jr. and also Xander Bogarts on the team. They also have Christian Vasquez, who I think is a very good catcher and a guy that could really be you know, the, the rock behind your plate for many more years to come, in my opinion. But the Red Sox clearly wanted to make, them make some moves. They did make a couple uh, earlier in this trade deadline, but this was probably out of the moves that the Red Sox made, this was probably the biggest one, if you really want to say it's the biggest one. Uh, but, yeah, they, they clearly decided to move on from Mitch Moreland. And Mitch Moreland going to San Diego. Now, this, now this was his line um, a few days ago, so obviously I'm certain it's changed. Uh, but he, you know, with the Red Sox, he was batting 328 with eight home runs and 21 RBIs. So the question really is, with Eric Hosmer as your number one, what exactly was the reasoning behind acquiring Mitch Moreland? Well, I think it's pretty simple, actually, that I, the Padres want to have a reliable, you know, consistent type hitter, you know, backing up Eric Hosmer to give him some days off. Because if the Padres can get some of their main guys to have rest and be one of the more rested teams going into the postseason if they make it, then all more the advantage for them. Because I had mentioned before on numerous platforms, whether it was here on Mofobo or on the Bottom Line podcast or, or anywhere else, I said, and this also comes, by the way, with any sport this year, uh, is that whoever was going to be the most conditioned and most ready to go when the season started was going to have the most success through a 60-game season. And the Padres are one of the handful of teams that seems to, you know, seem to have been ready, you know, when this season started. They're not, they're not, the record isn't tremendous, but they're still a very competitive team nonetheless. And they made a handful of different moves other than this one with Mitch Moreland that, um, that certainly show that they're serious about going far uh, this year. But yeah, getting Mitch Moreland obviously will give the Padres a reliable backup first baseman, a guy who is a very solid left-handed hitter, you know, what's interesting is that Mitch Moreland earlier in his career when he was with Texas was certainly considered to be a power-hitting first baseman. Now the power-hitting first baseman has kind of gone away and it's not as valued anymore. But for Mitch Moreland, he's kind of been able to evolve his game. I mean, he's batting well over 300 at the time of this recording. He's not hitting a whole lot of home runs and his RBIs are you know, okay. But the one thing that I watched Mitch Moreland do that he does very well is that he comes through in timely situations. Now, the Red Sox haven't won that many games, but when they have won games, Mitch Moreland has been a reliable guy at the plate. And he's also a very solid, you know, fielding first baseman. So 
The Padres, I think, saw this as an opportunity to get probably the best available first baseman on the market. And clearly the Red Sox wanted to get some assets for him. And they got two young position players. And clearly the Red Sox want to get younger, both Hudson Potts and Jason, I think it's Jason Rosario, but I could be wrong. Um, you know, both of them have a lot of potential. Neither one of them have had that many opportunities to play in the big leagues yet. So the Padres are willing to give up, you know, with arguably they have the, the top farm system in Major League Baseball. They're willing to give up a couple of young players. It was a surprise that it cost the Padres more than one player to get Mitch Moreland. But then again, when you're when you have a first baseman that's batting well over 300 and being one of the few consistent, you know, bright spots on a team that has had such a very poor season, you know, you're probably going to get you're probably going to ask for a little bit more than maybe you would in in other years. But now the Padres have two reliable first basemen and and that's good. That's really good. You need to try to have depth at every position as best as you can with reliable players. And Mitch Moore is that type of first baseman. So that was one of the moves that I was actually saying, okay, I think that was a solid pickup. They didn't have to break the bank or go crazy. But they thought they decided to get a little bit more crazy as I think basically the next day, the Padres, and it, it feels like, by the way, that this episode is going to be basically about the Padres because they made, you know, the most moves and they made, the biggest moves, in my opinion, um, in this trade deadline. But the Padres were able to acquire the best relief pitcher on the market in Trevor Rosenthal from the Kansas City Royals in exchange for outfielder Edward Olivares and a player to be named later, which I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just me, and if you guys agree, let me know. But I've always found that to be kind of annoying that it's like, oh, a player to be named later. Why does it have to be later? Why can't, you know, why can't we just do it now? What is so big about that? You know, I, I don't really know. Maybe they do it because they're working on other deals and they want to see, you know, who's going to be left, you know, from their farm system. But I don't know. It just, it's a weird thing. But Trevor Rosenthal, even, even a month before the deadline, was pretty much rumored that he was going to be moved. Kansas City, like the Red Sox, is having a, a, a down year. And I mean, the Royals have had down years since they won the World Series five years ago. They built that team for that year. And ever since then, guys have, you know, gone left and right. They're trying to get younger. I thought Whit Merrifield was going to be another one of the guys that was being moved. I heard several rumors about that. But clearly the Royals want to keep him. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they want to build their team around guys like him. And, and I think that would be a smart move on their part. But they were willing to move on from Trevor Rosenthal. The Padres bullpen is what I would consider middle of the pack, to say the least, but certainly they improved a ton by getting Trevor Rosenthal. And what this means also is that I think he'll take over as the closer for the Padres, and he'll take over for Emilio Pagan as the closer. Now, for Trevor Rosenthal, he has pitched in 14 games, has a 3.29 ERA, 21 strikeouts in just under 14 innings so that's solid not great not you know not terrible either it's solid so again I think the Padres saw this as an opportunity to upgrade their closer position as well as their bullpen in general and they were willing to to make the move so they gave up you know another young prospect and, and a player to be named later which is probably going to be another prospect 
And again, like I mentioned, the Padres have the deepest and most talented farm system in all of baseball, according to a lot of scouts, you know, in baseball. And the Padres felt, you know, hey, this is an opportunity to make our team better right now. Um, I've never, I've never really been the type of guy that always was great, you know, was always comfortable with giving up my future, especially if you're a team that's on the rise. It's like you got to let your young players continue to develop so that when you get to the point where you're at an elite level, you know, a championship level, then you can go out and make some moves. But again, I, the Padres felt different about it and they decided to, you know, make some big moves in this trade deadline. So at this point, we've, we've covered it. The Padres, you know, got Mitch Moreland. Then they also got Trevor Rosenthal. And for now, that's about as far as I'm going to go with the Padres. But, you know, again, there was that one big move that I wanted to really analyze that I'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Now, the next move that was, it was another, it was another player that, that clearly this team was saying that they wanted to move on from and they were trying to get as much value for. And that was the, the Seattle Mariners with their starting pitcher, Taiwan Walker. Now, Taiwan Walker was rumored to go to a handful of different teams, including teams like the Yankees, and the Dodgers, I think, also, you know, clearly wherever Taiwan Walker was going to go, he was going to go to a team that was trying to compete. Where he ended up going was more of a surprise than anything else. And he ended up going to the Blue Jays. The Toronto Blue Jays were able to acquire Taiwan Walker from the Mariners for, of course, my favorite type of thing to give up in a trade, a player to be named later. Again, just to clarify, what this most likely means is it'll be a prospect. It might not be determined. It's obviously not going to be determined now. It's called the player to be named later, and that's the way we're going to go. But, yeah, it was more of a surprise because the Blue Jays made it public that they are going to make a run at it. Now, the Blue Jays, as of right now, I think are a game and a half or two behind the Yankees for second place in the American League East. So they still have a good amount of ground to make up and not all of their main guys are healthy right now. Bo Bichette is the main guy that I'm, I'm referring to and neither he nor Vlad Guerrero Jr. or um, Kevin Biggio have really honestly had that great of a year. Then again, most, most big name players are not because again, it's, you know, it's such a sprint that we don't have much. N nobody really has time to, to get it going 100%. Um, but, you know, the Blue Jays obviously needed help with their starting pitching, and that's what they decided to, to do. And, you know, at the time of this recording, Taiwan Walker had pitched six games with a 3-2 and two record, 29 strikeouts, and a 3.27 ERA. And also, he already pitched his first game with the Toronto Blue Jays and got a win. He won his first game, giving up four hits, walking just three, striking out four in six innings. So... You know, he's off to a good start with the Blue Jays. So, you know, with the Yankees faltering as much as they are right now, you know, there's always the possibility. Baseball is a very unpredictable sport. You never know what could happen. And, you know, for all we know, within the next couple of days, the Blue Jays jump the Yankees. And what's interestingly enough is that we're nearly at the halfway point of this season or, you know, a little bit more. And the Blue Jays haven't even played a game against the Yankees. The Yankees have played, I think, every single team in both the AL and NL East, I believe, except the Toronto Blue Jays. So, I mean, it's kind of funny in that way. 
Uh, it's it's not how the schedule is put out, but I, I I'm I'm assuming the Yankees will be playing the Blue Jays soon. So the Blue Jays know that they still have games to play against the Yankees, and that will be a big you know emotional you know series whenever it is for the Blue Jays if they want to really try to make that run and be as serious as they say they are. But certainly without question, that was surprising. I actually thought Taiwan Walker was going to end up being on the Yankees. Um, and again, I'll get to the Yankees in a minute because I think a lot of people wanted to be critical of the Yankees for not making any moves, but I wanted to explain why they, why I think they didn't make any moves and why I think it was the smart decision to not make any moves. But let's move on here with another move. Now, this made me scratch my head a little bit. The Marlins, the Miami Marlins, who are still relatively in it in the National League East. I think they're in third place as of right now. But they decided to acquire outfielder Starling Marte from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, that was kind of a surprising thing because I didn't really expect the Marlins to buy. If anything, they were going to sell. But what that tells me is that because obviously Derek Jeter is the owner, is that he wants to start building a championship team. He start, he's starting to see guys that are available that might not cost them as much. It might help them get over the hump. But Starling Marte, former Pittsburgh Pirate who signed a one-year deal with, I think it was a one-year deal, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, has had a pretty good year in Arizona, despite the fact that the Diamondbacks have had a very difficult year. And again, Marte was another player that was rumored, you know, to go to the Yankees and do a couple of other teams. But again, just like the Blue Jays, the Marlins surprised everybody by acquiring him. Now, here's something that was written by MLB.com, and I think particularly it was written by Richard Justice, who put out the seven teams that won the trade deadline. And this was what he said about the Marlins acquiring Starling Marte. He said, bottom line, he was the best position player to change teams on Monday and a nice reward for a remarkable overachieving Marlins club that has been great fun to watch. And that is true. If you really think about it, obviously early on in the year, the Marlins were the big story because they had so many different players and people within their organization with COVID-19 and they missed a ton of games. But ever since they got back to playing, they've been one of the more competitive teams in major league baseball and have really in many ways been fun to watch because they because all it is is just a bunch of young guys trying to learn how to play major league baseball and trying to go from there and build it that way Derek Jeter I think wants to build this team the way it was built when he was coming up with the Yankees through a lot of young guys you draft and develop into your you know from your farm system and then here and there you make some moves to get some guys that will help you take that next step and and I think that's the big reason that the Marlins went for Starling Marte. Marte entered Monday with a .827 on-base OPS, higher than any current, current Marlin. I mean, again, young players that are still learning how to play Major League Baseball. And his presence in the middle of the order will make life easier for the players around him in the order. They also traded away infielder Jonathan Villar in a deal with the Blue Jays, and it'll be interesting to see how, he, how they fill that void. Yeah, I mean, again... It was kind of like, on one hand, they decided to trade to gain some, to gain some assets, and then on another, they traded some assets to gain a player to help them now. So it was kind of like a situation. But my guess is that the Marlins felt that 
they could get good value for Jonathan VR. And Starling Marte was a guy that maybe in their minds is a better overall player than Jonathan VR. And I mean, this year in particular, I would agree with that. And I've watched Starling Marte for many years on Pittsburgh teams that were not very good. He was one of the more consistent players. He was very good. He has a very good two, you know, two-handed swing. He has really good speed and is a very, very good outfielder. So the Marlins certainly, in my opinion, got better. And I can't be too critical of it because, again, they didn't break the bank. And, and anything they gave up, they kind of gained it back in the deal for Jonathan VR. So it's kind of like they went almost they, – they went down in talent and then they went back, back up again, you know, and didn't look like they really cost anything. So that was pretty – that was a pretty good job by the, by the Miami Marlins. It shows that they want to remain competitive this year and they're also trying to continue to build their team. And I know that's very hard to do sometimes to be competitive now and also build for the future. But if you make small moves like this – that you know, even analytically, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of analytics, but that's just me. But, you know, analytically, it could, you know, the value could be good now, and it could be good, you know, two, three years down the road. And bringing in a veteran presence like Starling Marte could help the Marlins, you know, continue to develop into this, you know, very good, young, talented team that could be super competitive in the next year or so. So I think it was a good job by Derek Jeter to acquire somebody. Definitely surprising, no doubt but I think a good move nonetheless. Uh, the next team that I wanted to talk about real quick was the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Phillies' biggest problem, without a doubt, no question about it, is their bullpen. Throughout most of this year, they have arguably the worst bullpen in Major League Baseball. The, it, it is impossible at times for the Phillies to feel comfortable with a lead because these guys in the bullpen have just not been able to come through. Now, a couple of the guys that they acquired have shown some promise to look good. Uh, they brought in Brandon Workman and Heath Hembry from the Red Sox. And what was so funny is that it, we were, a lot of us were saying, you know, the Red Sox probably have like the second worst bullpen in baseball. So why exactly would the Phillies want to get anybody from the Red Sox? And what made it even funnier was that the first game Brandon Workman came into, he actually blew the game and the Phillies ended up losing. So, so immediately you could look at it and say, oh, well, that was a great trade. I mean, this is going to be awesome. You know, we just made our bullpen even more bad. But he's actually done very well, you know, since then. So is Keith Henbury. They also acquired yesterday David Phelps from the Milwaukee Brewers. So, again, they, they wanted to add bullpen help. The only guy that, in my opinion, was not a good move was acquiring David Hale from the Yankees. And... I've seen David Hale pitch enough to know that he's not that good. And just two days ago on Sunday against the Braves on the national stage, he came in after Jake Arrieta gave up like five or six runs and proceeded to give up another four or five. Like he was just as bad and he looked lost. Now, obviously it was his first appearance with the Phillies trying to learn how to pitch to JT Real Muto, but still, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta still perform. And I think Matt Klintek, the general manager of the Phillies, he's still going to be under a lot of pressure for the rest of the year because the Phillies have championship aspirations. And if their bullpen can get to being half decent, the Phillies have a chance because they have a really good lineup that can put up a lot of runs. Their starting pitching other than Jake Arrieta is solid. Um, 
but they got to get it going. Otherwise, I think honestly and truly, Matt Klintek will be out of a job within the next couple of months. Because the Phillies don't even make the playoffs. I think you have to make a big change like that if you really want to go from there. But again, I'll read from the same article I read before. General Manager Matt Clintuck put the finishing touch on a nice bullpen rebuild by getting Phelps from the Brewers on Monday. Manager Joe Girardi, who managed Phelps on the Yankees, fun fact, Phelps is a former Yankee, uh, suddenly has quality options at the end of the games as his club competes for a playoff berth. That's what I'm saying. He didn't bring up David Hale because we, I think a lot of baseball knows already that David Hale is not one of the best options. But sometimes you got you to gotta give the guy an opportunity to, to prove that he can't do it. But still, the Phillies needed to make some moves to help their bullpen, and they did just that. So the only other move before I get to, like, the big one, I would say, it's probably not necessarily one move, but the moves that the Chicago Cubs made. Now, the Cubs were able to acquire four players. They, they acquired – Designated here, Jose Martinez from the Tampa Bay Rays, which, you know, he's a former, you know, uh, St. Louis Cardinal. He played on them last year. A pretty, pretty good designated hitter. And the Cubs, obviously, knowing that they played the AL Central, they need a, need a guy like that. He can also play first base. So that's good. Uh, they acquired former Yankee outfielder Cameron Maven, one of my all-time favorite people. I absolutely love his personality. Um, what he brought to the Yankees, you know, being the big – hugging, you know, you know, fun-loving guy that he was. I really enjoyed him. And uh, he was on the Tigers this year, and he got traded from the Tigers to the Cubs. They also acquired two left-handed pitchers in Andrew Chafin and Josh Ozick. So they brought in two southpaws to help it out. So, again, I'll read from this same article. Bottom line is the Cubs got better, and, it isn't, and isn't that the bottom line? Not every team can say that. They did not pull off the bombshell trade for a starting pitcher Cubs fans may have been hoping for, but they got four pieces that could push them over the top in the NL Central. Maven, who joined the flyball revolution last year, is an especially interesting acquisition, as are the two lefty relievers who give manager David Ross more options to maneuver through the end of games. Now, Cameron Maven, last year, with the Yankees started, you could start to see him hitting more home runs. He was never known as a big home run hitter. And even this year, he's done, he, he's done basically the same thing. So now the Cubs have added a little bit more pop to their lineup. They just got back Josh, uh, Chris Bryant off the IL today, which is a big thing for them. And the Cubs know that they have just as good of a chance of, of as anybody to win the NL Central. The NL Central is not doing that well. And really, their only competition, in my opinion, is the St. Louis Cardinals. What a shocker for Cubs fans. But nonetheless, I think the Cubs got better in different aspects. You know, sometimes it's good to make a multitude of different moves that benefit different parts of your team. So they got in a guy that could be your DH and also play first base. You got another guy who's starting to hit a lot more home runs consistently and brings a little bit more pop to your lineup and helps you in the outfield in Cameron Maven. And you also added two lefty arms to kind of balance it out in your bullpen. So all in all, they just made their whole team better. So that's really good. And it didn't cost them very much. They didn't go crazy. They just got guys that they looked at and said, you know what? These guys, if we acquire them, will definitely make our team better, make us more consistent in the lineup, make us more intimidating in the lineup, and especially in the bullpen, and we can go compete. And I think the Cubs have as just as good of a chance as anybody to not only make the playoffs, but make a run. I really do. I think this is the most, not talented, but certainly one of the more um, 
successful teams the Cubs have had since their 2016 World Series run. So Cubs fans, maybe you won't have to wait another 108 years to see the Cubs win a World Series. They could make a run just as good as anybody else. But we shall see what happens down the road. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to go over my last trade of the day. And of course, I had to save the biggest one for the last. And that is without a doubt the decision that the Padres made to acquire the top player that was available at the trade deadline, Mike Clevinger. The Padres, this is the official full trade details. The Padres acquired Mike Clevinger, outfielder Greg Allen, and my favorite player of all time, the player to be named later, in exchange for a crap load of young players. Starting pitcher Cal Quantrill, Outfielder Josh Naylor, shortstop Gabriel Arias, starting pitcher Joey Cantillo, catcher Austin Hedges, and shortstop Owen Miller. Wow. First of all, again, the Padres clearly have proven that they are going for it. Mike Clevinger, obviously, the big thing that happened with him this year is that he and another teammate, you know, went out and broke you know, the COVID-19 rules of Major League Baseball was punished by the Indians. And a lot of people are speculating that that was the reason they moved on from Mike Clevinger. I think that had something to do with it, but I don't think it was the full reason. I think the Indians have clearly shown that they are trying to get younger. And they did say that they were willing to listen to offers for Francisco Lindor, but they ended up retracting that in the early hours of, of Monday. So, you know, clearly there was nothing there. I, I would imagine somebody called but I don't think anybody, you know, was willing to give up a huge amount, especially in this type of season. I, I think they just were like, you know what, forget it. So nonetheless, nonetheless, the let, let's go over um, an article that I found from the score that kind of talks about in detail every player that the Indians just got. So Cleveland's Hall is without a doubt substantial. The Padres selected Quantrill, eighth overall in the 2016 draft. In 10, appearance, 10 appearances this season, including one start, the Canadian has a 2.60 ERA, a 3.94 FIP with 18 strikeouts in 17 and a third innings. Naylor, 23, was also a first rounder. The Miami Marlins drafted him 12th overall in 2015. In 112 games, Naylor owns a 253 batting average, a 315, I want to say that slugging percentage, and a 408 OPS slash line with nine homers and 36 runs batted in. He'll join his younger brother, Bo Naylor, who is already in the Indians organization. So, you know, a little bit of a reunion, which is, which is always nice to see. Hedges, who's 28, is a defensive first catcher with some pop. He's recorded 58 defensive runs saved in six seasons with the Padres and belted double-digit homers in three straight years from 2017 to 2019. Adias, Cantillo, and Miller, or Cantillo, I, again, I apologize for saying this wrong, Adias, Cantillo, and Miller were the Padres' number seven, nine, and 11 prospects, respectively, according to MLB Pipeline. 
The 20-year-old Adios hit well at high A in 2019, slashing a 302 batting average, a 339 slugging percentage, and a 470 OPS with 17 home runs, 21 RBIs, and 75 RBIs. I think that's pretty good. Even though it is high A, still, you can see he's developing and getting better. However, the infielder also struck out 128 times in 120 games. So if he can cut his strikeouts down, you got a really, really good player. And then we go to Cantillo, who is 20 years of age. So he's, again, another young player. Posted a 10-4 record with a 2.26 ERA and an impressive 0.93 whip across two minor league levels last season, striking out 144 batters in 111 and two-thirds innings. So Cantillo is one of those guys that I think, given another year, he probably would have made the big leagues. He, you know, If you're able to have a good amount of success in multiple different levels of the minor leagues in one season, that shows that you're progressing and progressing at a very quick rate, which is very good. And I'm sure the Indians are very excited to have him now in their farm system. The 23-year-old Miller spent last season at AA Amarillo and posted a .785 OPS with 28 doubles and 68 RBIs in 507 at-bats. This is the fifth trade made by the San Diego's front office in the past three days. They also, I think, made two more after this. So, in addition to Clevinger and Allen, the Padres added first baseman Mitch Moreland, catchers Jason Castro, and Austin Nolan, and relievers Trevor Rosenthal, Austin Adams, and Dan Altavia. So, this was just a big shock that the Padres were the team that ended up getting Mike Clevinger because there were a lot of different teams that were reported, rumored, interested in Mike Clevinger because of his upside and because of the fact that he's still fully 100% not, you know, not proven, in my opinion. That's not a knock. It's just you know he still has a lot of time to develop. But the Padres said, BS on that. We want him. We're going to give him. We're going to give you so much, you're going to be blown away. And I'm sure the front office of the Indians, when they heard that offer, they, they almost fell over in their chair. They're like, you want to give up that much? Now, obviously, the Indians had to give up, you know, other assets other than Mike Clevinger. Because if it was just Mike Clevinger for seven players, I would have said, geez, what are you doing? So, obviously – the Padres probably don't have the best farm system anymore, considering the amount of young prospects, especially in their top 15, that they've gotten rid of over the last couple of days. But they, they got better in many facets, starting pitching, relief pitching, you know, getting some backup players to help with their depth. So clearly they're a better team. The question is, who won this deal? Well, like most deals, it would be fair to say this. It might benefit the Padres in the short term, but it's going to be more positive for the Indians long term because if those guys continue to improve the way they've been improving, the Indians will have a couple of very young players to add to their major league team in the next two, three years that could make them competitive in a very short time. And usually the way these moves work out, because you know if the Padres can't keep Mike Clevinger long term, then it looks even worse. And if the Padres don't go very far or don't even make the playoffs this year, that's going to look really bad. So 
you know, I think bottom line is let's wait and see how the rest of the season goes, and I'll make my determination as to the immediate decision as to who I think won the trade, and then I'll, you know, I'll probably go into who I think won it long term. But right now, let's just wait and see. But clearly the San Diego Padres were the most aggressive team in this trade deadline. They're going for it, and we'll see if it comes to fruition for them. They have a lot of really talented players. Let's see if they can play well as a team. And with that being said, that'll do it for this edition of the Mofobo Network podcast. Thank you guys so much for checking out this edition, uh, talking about the MLB trade deadline. Let me know in the comments. Let me know, you know, obviously on social media and everything, what you guys think of some of the moves. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Are there any other moves that we mentioned? And real quick, before I officially, you know, give my whole, you know, promoting thing at the end of every do. I, I, I forgot to mention about the Yankees. Now, with the Yankees, I'll just be very honest with you. The Yankees don't really need anything. They just need guys to come through in timely situations. Their bullpen is fine. Their starting pitching is solid. It's just that they don't have enough guys on this team that can hit well in timely situations. It's not, and it's easy to just develop that and coach that and get these guys emotionally jacked up to play these games. So they can still win two out of three against the Rays. They need to do that. They need to be emotionally ready to go for that. So that's why I don't think that Cashman made any moves. Cashman also said that several teams wanted guys like Clint Frazier, Debbie Garcia, and Clark Schmidt, and the Yankees said no. And that shows you that Cashman really wants those guys to be part of the future that maybe the Yankees might move a couple of the guys they have now in the short term, but in the long term, these are the guys that are going to come in and replace some of those guys and be the long-term solution in the Yankees, hopefully getting to being a World Series team because this team is not there yet. This team is not there. And it hasn't been they, – they haven't been close to being a World Series team, in my opinion, since 2017. But, you know, you can make that argument all you want, but that's just my opinion on the matter. But – the Yankees didn't want to give up their their young assets, and I don't blame them. I think that was a smart move, and I'm glad they kept guys like Andujar and Clint Frazier, Debbie Garcia, Schmidt. I'm glad they kept all those guys. Now, hopefully they give them more opportunities, you know, this year and the years moving forward because they all have earned it, and they all deserve it, and they're part of your future. You better start using it. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast episode. It really means the world to me. And as always, if you want to check out more, make sure you subscribe to the Mofobo Network podcast here on Anchor or on Spotify. Just search Mofobo Network or Neil Villapiano, N-E-I-L-V-I-L-L-A-P-I-A-N-O, and you will find it. We also have a Facebook page for the podcast, Mofobo Network, where you can stay up to date with all of the new podcast episodes that we post every Tuesday and Thursday, and also new YouTube videos. And that leads me into make sure you like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Presents YouTube channel. We're just like here on the podcast. We post all new things going on in the world of sports with different, you know, great fun guests, uh, new video every Wednesday evening. So make sure you subscribe to that and you can stay up to date with the new videos also on the Mofobo Network Facebook page. So again, Mofobo Network, and you will find it and you can stay up to date there. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. Also, 
make sure you go check out the Devil's State of Mind podcast, which is the New Jersey Devils-based podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am the host. We talk about all things going on in New Jersey Devils hockey, hockey in general, and so much more. You know, we're available on all forms, you know, where you listen to podcasts, you know, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iTunes, you name it, we're on it. Just search Hockey Podcast Network or Devil's State of Mind and you will find it. Also, we have a Twitter for the podcast, at Devil's State. We also have an Instagram, at Devil's State of Mind. And just like Mofobo, we have a Facebook page, Devil's State of Mind. And on all three of those, if you go to the bio, you can click on the link that leads you to the website where you can stay up to date with all of the new episodes. So it's the Devil's State of Mind website, bookmark it so you don't miss any new episodes that we post every Monday. Every Monday is new when new episodes come out with great guests, great topics, and so, so much more. So please check that out as well. I would greatly appreciate it. And last but certainly not least, go check out my book right now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a Jets fan. So if you're a football fan, a Jets fan, if you know someone who's one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check it out on either one of those websites. It's available for hardcover and ebook for the price of $19.69. And if you are a Jets fan or a football fan, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So check that out. Thank you guys so much. And at the end of every episode, as I always say, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what hardships you might be dealing with, just remember when you wake up in the morning to kick some mofobo. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will catch you in the next edition of the Mofobo Network podcast. Everyone continue to remain safe out there during this difficult time with the COVID-19 pandemic. Wear a mask, practice social distancing, wear gloves if you want to feel a little bit more extra protection. You know, please do so because it's not just you we're protecting. You know, we're protecting, you know, your family, your friends, you know, people you work with, and just other people that you walk around and you and you you pass on a day-to-day basis. And if you're sick, please stay home and speak with a doctor because we're all trying to be as safe as possible, be as healthy as possible as we try to flatten the curve more and more and we eventually find a vaccine for the virus. Thank you so much to all the essential workers out there, nurses, you know, doctors, you know, people who work in grocery stores and everything else that I, I didn't mention. Please thank you guys so much for all your hard work because without it, we would not be in, we would not be in a safe position right now. We would we would be in a much more difficult position right now than we are. So thank you guys so much. Thank you to everyone who listened today and God bless.